you have your Bibles and like to turn there, we're in the Gospel of John together. And I'm so excited that we get to do this and look through this amazing presentation of Jesus. Chapter 3 is where we are. I've shared this before, but I suppose, you know, I'm, I'm a lefty. I eat with my left hand. I, I sometimes throw with my right because that's how I learn. But whenever it's around the kitchen, around doing stuff, I always had learned that I use my left hand. So anyone else a lefty? I'd really think that left-handedness is close to godliness, but, you know, that's just for us lefties. The, the real thing that's interesting to me is that when I went to Africa, it's a whole different culture, right? So I'm a lefty, and I would reach for stuff with my left hand. I got such horrified looks. Because in Africa, they use a different toilet system. And your left hand is for something special. Not eating. I didn't know, right? But it was something I could learn, and so I learned it, and then I changed. And so when I'm in Africa, I eat with my right hand. Because it's a culture, and it's something you do. And I think sometimes we view Christianity a little bit that way. It's a little bit like, oh, well, I, I was who I was, you know, and, and, and there I, I was a person and I was doing things this way. And then now I have the Bible and here's the truth now that comes at me. And I learn to do things a different way, like not to use my left hand to eat anymore. And now I do it a different way. And the problem with that is that it misses the depth of what it is this gospel really brings. It's not a new way of doing things. It's not a different way we can learn so that we can do better, we can love better finally, we can advance more, we can evaluate ourselves. But, but that, that's so ingrained in me that what I need to do is advance and learn and grow that I don't realize Christianity is about actually being transformed to a different planet. Besides being left-handed, I also like science fiction. I'm sorry. But it's almost that way. It's almost like all of a sudden you're on Mars or you're somewhere else that's totally, radically different. And to start to think that way is so hard for us because we think in our heads that what a good Christian is is getting more righteous and bringing more good to the world, loving people better, getting programs to do that, advancing in this way because we think we're learning. You know, the world kind of gets a little bit the right idea, but now we've got the Bible and we really know how to fill in the blank. It's like, don't use your left hand. Now use your right. It's not like that. And the way that I know it is passages like this one. This passage contains one of my very favorite verses in John, and it's a verse almost everyone will know. If I ask all my kids, if I ask anyone I know, name a verse from John. Yeah. Not just as the rooster crow, but they say, John 3.16, right? Actually, my kids in our youth group are a little bit different because they usually say something from John 11, which is Jesus wept because it's the shortest verse in the Bible and they'd have to memorize one. <laughs> you can always memorize a two-word verse. That's pretty nice. But the one everybody knows is John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what we get to look at today. It's amazing. And it's so amazing that sometimes I feel like we lose the amazingness because we don't get the context. So I want to show you the whole story today and how it means your life is different than maybe you normally think. 
So let's look at John. I'm calling this Nick at Night because it's not a children's show. It's actually Jesus talking to a man named Nick, Nicodemus, at nighttime. So John chapter 3, we'll start in verse 1. You must be born again. Okay. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees, verse 1, named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, and no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with them. Okay, let's stop there for a minute. So the scene comes up, new scene. Jesus comes in, and this man sneaks in at night to talk to him. Now, we we want to kind of think poorly of that, but I'd ask you not to, not at least at first. Think about who this man is. We're identified right away, right? This man comes to Jesus, and he's a Pharisee, which means he's a student of the law. He knows the Bible. Disciplined. No. And he's a Pharisee of the Pharisees because he's not just a Pharisee. He's a ruler. That means he's got some giftedness to go beyond his fellow men. He, he's, he's, he's a good upstanding pillar. He knows that his actions have consequences. And if he just goes and throws his support behind some random rabbi, then, then that would be bad. So he comes quietly to kind of see this guy because he's been doing some amazing things. He doesn't toss him out as fake news. He comes to see him himself. Pretty cool. And when you see when he comes, he's really respectful of Jesus, right? He doesn't say, well, I'm the ruler. Who are you, peon? He says, rabbi, that means teacher. So it's like, I'm the student, teacher. You're, I'm putting you above me. And he says, teacher, man, you've been sent from God. I, 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 I see something really amazing going on here. And, and these signs, they're real signs, amazing miracles that you've done. I, I want to know what's happening so, I mean, I mean, think about it for a minute, right? If some amazing ruler who has all this respect and he knows the Bible and he's awesome, and he comes and he says, I want to learn from you, I would think the response would be, oh, finally, somebody well put together. You know, you can do a lot for the kingdom. Let me pull you in. I'm so glad you trust me, Nicodemus. I wish the rest of the Pharisees would. Instead, look what Jesus does. He gives this very interesting push. Verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, we've heard this so often, we've lost its remarkableness, perhaps. It's an amazing statement. What in the world? Jesus comes out with one of his truly, trulys, which means, hey, this is a deep thought, and you need to get it. You must be born again to see the kingdom. The implication is that Nicodemus, who is a student of the law and is a ruler and hasn't put together and is coming to Jesus, has some modicum of interest, at least in who Jesus is, is being told, you're dead. You've got to be born again. I know I missed, I can't hardly even say it's born again without thinking of the 70s. It was the Jesus movement. Everyone was saying they were born again. And now almost nobody says they're, who are you? Well, I'm a Christian. You don't say, who are you? I'm born again. But that's who you are, right? You're born again. That's what a Christian is. And it brings up this this first point, I think, that we have to take into our hearts about, about what this new reality is for you and me. Here it is. 
The first point. You don't need to improve your old life. You need a new one. That all by itself, which is what Jesus is saying, is radically weird and almost hard, hard for me to even understand and take in. You've got to have a new life. You don't need to improve your old When all I do all the time is try and improve my life. You know, I got up this morning. I brushed my teeth. I combed my hair. I, I, I worked out four times this week because I'm trying to lose weight. I'm trying my best to go serve people and love people and do things. Why am I doing? I want to improve. I want to get better. And here comes Jesus, and he comes in with this word, and the word's like, whoa, what are you saying, Jesus? You don't need to improve your life. You need a new one. You've got to be born again. I mean, John makes sure we know that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. It means he knows the law. He's a ruler of the Jews. He's an ad, not a nobody. This is the most religious, studious, disciplined, law-keeping, and he's dead. And Nicodemus doesn't seem to understand it. There's verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered him. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Okay, so, so Nicodemus is on the literal, right? He doesn't, he doesn't take that in, what I just told you. You don't need to improve your life. He says, no, wait a minute. This is nonsensical. You're saying I got to get back into the womb, like literally go through the birth canal again? I mean, what? <laughs> you can't do that. I'm an old person. I'm 6'4". And Jesus says, no. It's a whole different paradigm. Right? And, and so it's not about improving your old life. You need a new one. And what does that mean to have a new life? It means you don't need, this is the second piece I want you to see from this. You don't need sin management. You need cleansing and indwelling. Okay, that's me paraphrasing again for Jesus, because this is so radical, and we've heard it so many times, and you forget what's the context of what he's talking about. He's talking to this man who thinks he knows the way to be right with God and to stay right with God. This is radical, you guys. This is Jesus saying, you know, you, you need a whole new life. What's the new life you need? You need cleansing, and you need indwelling. That's what the new life is. Because Nicodemus was wanting to learn from Jesus, how can I fit you into the religious information I already have, you know, the tradition I stand in, and that's so I can be a better person. And I'm going to utilize Jesus to be a better person. I'm going to utilize his teaching. I'm going to utilize his examples. I'm going to utilize the things about him. And I'm going to work on myself and polish myself. And Jesus says, well, actually, you, you need a whole new life. So I said, okay, okay, okay. I need to turn over a new leaf. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. I'm saying, go wash yourself. He says, you need cleansing. You need to be born of water and the spirit. What, what, wait, can we just talk about? <laughs> let, me, let me deal with verse 6 first, then I want to go back to verse 5. Because verse 6 says, you've got to see this. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. The flesh, which is you. If you want to say, what I'm trying to do is work on me, then it stays you. You can polish you and you stay you. You can look at the mirror and like groom yourself and you stay yourself. 
You can do all these great works for people and you stay yourself. The flesh is the flesh. It's not your bad stuff staying bad. It's you staying you. But, but what you need is the spirit. If you're in the spirit, the spirit is the spirit. It's not you. So I, I get super confused and say, well, what, what exactly is going on? And these are cryptic statements to my intellectual mind. And so I, I start trying to fit it into saying, well, I'm going to try and do stuff in the spirit. So I'm going to try and do stuff for God, especially, and try and be motivated for God more than for And I still see it through the same lens of improving me, my decisions for God. When Jesus, I think, is talking about it, he said this, you must be born of water and the spirit. Is not you repenting? like waters your repentance. It's his cleansing you. His putting the spirit in you is what you need. Let me show you why I think that, because what he's actually doing as he speaks this, Jesus is, is he's talking about a verse in Ezekiel. He's talking about a passage that Nicodemus would know, but maybe you don't know so well, because who reads Ezekiel 12 times a year? Great book, has fantastic stuff, but sometimes, you know, a little esoteric. So he's referring to this passage in Ezekiel. That's an amazing passage. And it says in Ezekiel 26, uh, 36, verse 24, of Israel, and Nicodemus is a ruler of Israel, says, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. See that? And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. From all your idols, I will cleanse you. If he's talking about to be clean, what's going to happen? Your be clean is God cleansing you. That's what has to happen for you to be alive. You've got to get cleansed by the water from God, not your water or your action, God's action. And he keeps on going. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The passage goes on. I'll put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules and you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I'll be your God. When Ezekiel writes this, it's a prophecy of the coming future. And Jesus comes and says, hey, you got to realize some of these things are happening right now. Some will still happen in the future. But that's what he's talking about. So when Jesus says to you, and we hear these words, you must be born again. It's not you got to reform. It's not you got to make sure you utilize the right principles about what to do and become a better you. Born again means something that's going to be done to you. That's a big deal. Why do I say that's a big deal? Because that's exactly what Nicodemus is struggling to understand. So our first thing, you don't need to improve your old life. You need a new one. You've got to be born again. The, the, the second one, you don't need sin management, principles to advance or get more righteous. Instead, what you need is cleansing. What's cleansing, by the way? Cleansing is making clean. What are you dirty with? Sin. What forgives you of... Well, I'm giving it away. What cleans you from sin? Forgiveness, right? Forgiveness. You need forgiveness. So say, hey, here's what cleansing is. Jesus saying, you need forgiveness and you need the Spirit. The Holy Spirit, it's capital S. Not in the text, but I, I agree with the interpretation. 
So you need the Spirit and you need both of these things. You need indwelling and you need cleansing. And I give those. Because this is the third thing, right? The first thing, you need born again. You need new life, not improvement. The second thing, it's, it's not about sin management. It's about cleansing and it's about indwelling. And the third piece of this that, that's the truth from this passage is you don't do it. It's about his action on you. Right? And this is important for Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. They're trying hard to keep and obey because they think the blessing of God comes when I obey. I'm sorry, but you think this way too. I think this way. I was in an argument last night. I was just walking around going, Lord, I don't even deserve to speak tomorrow. I know you won't bless anything I say because I was angry last night. That's a natural way to think. It's not about his blessing me. It's about... Am I good enough or have I done enough or do I have it together enough and all this stuff? And I think wrong, such like Nicodemus, he's thinking wrongly. Okay, back to our test. text. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Okay, this is absolutely remarkable. Why do I say that? Because do you see what Jesus is doing? He's not just saying, okay, first, don't marvel that it said to you, you must be born again. Uh, okay, that is totally strange and I don't understand. So Jesus kind of says, don't marvel, let me give you some more. But then the more that he gives me, I, I again, unless you're really thinking about it, you're going to miss this. Don't marvel about it, let me explain, says Jesus. And do you see what he says? The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Huh? I know how we're prone to take that. We're prone to take it like, okay, I need the Spirit. I don't really understand. So the Spirit just comes and blows wherever. That is not what Jesus said. Follow it more closely. This is really important for your life. It's important for how you think about your life today. And if you're a kid, especially how you're going to think about the next 20 years of your life, the next 30 years of your life, or if you're not a kid, the same thing. Look, the wind blows where it wishes is a play on the spirit because the spirit and the wind are the same word in Greek. It's pneuma, right? So the spirit blows around, the wind blows around, and you hear it sound. You don't know where it comes from or where it goes. So I think, okay, the Holy Spirit does whatever it wants. I get that. That's a true statement. What I want you to see is the second. So it is with everyone who's born of the Spirit. It's not that the Holy Spirit blows around. It's that the person who has the Spirit is blown around. Do you see that? That's Jesus Christ, the Son of God, explaining what it means to be born again. And he says that. Let me explain it to you, he says. And, and so what is he talking about? What does it mean? And he's talking to Nicodemus. He's talking to the guy who's like, I know the precepts of God. I know the Ten Commandments. I know the things I'm supposed to do to make sure I go the right way. I know the pathway I'm on, and it's about slowly advancing in it. I need information and knowledge and help from you, Jesus, so I can continue on the pathway of righteousness. It's a lane that I'm walking up. It's a ladder that goes to heaven. And instead, Jesus says, no, 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 no. let me explain it to you. To have the Spirit means your life, you person who has the Spirit, is blown around. It doesn't look like advances to righteousness. It doesn't, 
Boy, you better know this is true, Christian, if you have any idea of what it means to be a Christian. It's not about you slowly making steps of improvement. You know what? When I was 10, I did this, and now I'm 15, and I do this, and now I'm 25, and I don't do those sins anymore, and now I'm better. That's what Jesus is knocking. He's saying, the Holy Spirit, if you have, blows you wherever. If God gives you the Spirit, and then the Spirit will take you somewhere. And you know that glance that you did, that that word that you spoke, that you just being you in the situation where God, the Holy Spirit in you, pushed you towards, he uses that as a fruit of his. Because what? You're born again. Born again means God has washed you, he's forgiven you. God has indwelt you, your Holy Spirit's within you. So I don't feel that, Dax. No, it's not a feeling. It's a statement of truth from God. This is what it means to trust Jesus. The Holy Spirit has you. He has your life. He's going to use you. And he's not going to use you like he uses me because he blows people all around to all different places. You say, well, but I don't see a lot. It's not about you seeing it. It's not about you evaluating it. It's not about you measuring it. It's not about you comparing to other people because they're being blown somewhere else. It's about the Holy Spirit using you. That's incredible. What a word from God today to say to you, if you're sitting here today and you say, yes, you know what? I trust in Jesus. Then the thing that you have is you have forgiveness of sin and you have the promise that the Holy Spirit's going to push you and use you however he wants to. You're going to look back and be amazed when you get to heaven. If you have even the smallest amount of brain power, you're saying, how can this be? This is so different than what Christianity is presented as. It's so different than what over and over people say it is. And when you say that, how can these things be? I believe you are exactly what Nicodemus is struggling with. <laughs> you are too. Because <laughs> that's what he says. He says, this is so radical. See, it's not just me improving me. It's not just us joining hands to love people better. It's not just us making a better world. It's not us being more moral. It's us saying we receive, we receive forgiveness, cleansing, and we receive the spirit, which uses us however he wants, and that's it. That seems too easy. There's got to be more I have to do. There's got to be more rules and regulations and all this stuff. There's got, Lord, Lord, <laughs> how can this be? That's what Nicodemus asks. How can this be? So verse 9, Nicodemus says to him, how can these things be? <laughs> yeah, this is really weird. This is radically different. This is, this, is, this is like me going to Mars. And so Jesus says in verse 10, Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? What he's saying is, is that the whole Old Testament points to this. The stories, the dead ends, the images, the pieces. You're, 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 why don't you know? You should know this. It's all about what God will do for you. He says, truly, truly, we speak of what we know and bear witness of what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. I believe Jesus in that statement when he goes plural is talking about him and all the prophets. 
him in all the word, him in everything that comes to us and says, this is what it is. And we don't take it in and we say, no, no, no. I just want the principles so that I can live a better life. And in verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of man. Jesus is making an incredible statement. I I hope you see it. He's saying, I I have other things to tell you even because I'm the one who came from heaven. That son of man is self-referenced to say, I'm the one. And then he says this. He gives this piece. He says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. This is actually a really big statement. He takes an Old Testament story and says, no, this is what it's always pointed to, and this is, remember his question, how can these things be? This is how it can be. This is what it is. This is what Christianity is. I'm telling you the how. And he tells this, you know, as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. We say, oh, yeah, 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 Jesus is going to be lifted up at a cross, and we get that, and so he died for us, and that's true. But there's a little more here, so let's go back to the story for a minute. Let's go back to Numbers. Numbers 21 and verse 4, this is the story. And it's the story of the Israelites, and they're wandering in the wilderness, and they, they don't know where to go, and Jesus, and, and they've, they've messed up. They don't get to go to the promised land. But God's still caring for them. As they wander in the wilderness and they're not to their home yet, and they they, they get their clothes are are not wearing out, and they're fed every single day with food from God, and he provides for them and cares for them. And it it says this. It says that he, it's from Mount Hor, they, that's the Israelites, set out by way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Okay, think about it for a minute. They're getting fed every single day the most delicious stuff you can ever eat. It's called manna. And God's just giving it to them. And what they're doing is they're saying, well, we don't like it. <laughs> we don't like what you provided for us. We, we yuck. Why don't you just give us some tools and we'll farm? Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so many of the people died. So they sin, and God's wrath against sin and the curse that they have, they they have to die. So there goes the snakes through the camp, and they're biting people. And then it says, people came to Moses and said, We've sinned, for we've spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who's bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he'd look at the bronze serpent and live. That's the story. Okay, come back to John. But, but think about, but think about what it is that, that's going on that Jesus himself says, this is the thing. This is it. And he's talking to Nicodemus who wants to incorporate good principles into his life. Okay, one, 
The serpent was on a pole. It was not preventative. It wasn't you're good and you just need to clean up. It was for people who were poisoned and dying. Uh, two, the, the snakes were in the camp were from God, right? There's no good people to spare. <laughs> like there were some good people out there that we didn't really need. We just, no, no. The snakes go and bite everybody. And then God chooses to rescue people. That's the thing, right? This is the image. This is the hope. All they have to do is make good sacrifices and be good people. What do they have to do? Look. They just got to look. It's not a promise that they'll be better. It's not a make sure they, they get more clean. They said that you're poisoned, and what you have to do is look to the snake, and everyone who looked at the snake lived. So Jesus is the Son of Man. Jesus is the source of rescue. He's not Moses lifting up the cure, like like lifting up the Ten Commandments or lifting up the... He is the cure. He is the snake. Right? He's not the new Moses, follow his great law, his great moral teaching. He's saying he's the snake. He's prayed as the curse, the one who becomes a curse for us. And he takes all the poison, all the sin, and all the wrath, and he just gives life. How can this be? Jesus takes away sin. He gives forgiveness as a gift. He takes it on himself. He's the Savior. All you have to do is what again? Look and live. That sure seems easy. Yeah, it seems easy because I want to make Jesus part of my world. I want to make Jesus part of my self-improvement project. I want to make Jesus something that I earn, something that, I, and it's not. It's just something that you look and live. You see that you're dying. You see you have no hope. You see you're a sinner. And you say, Jesus, I'll trust you. And you get cleansed. That's forgiveness. And you get indwelling. That's his spirit that you get on you. Gifts. Gifts. It's not about you living better and loving more and improving those around you. It isn't. I'm dead. I look to Jesus and I live. Why can't it be about me? Because it's about the son. That's huge, right? This is our verse. Now we're at our verse. Verse 16, that everybody knows, and you could probably quote it to me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And, and that believe isn't this idea of believe and do a bunch of stuff. Believe means really making sure you've changed your life. No, no, the context of this belief is looking. That's all. This is the heart of God, not to evaluate you, to save you. He loves you. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever looks to him. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. This is a huge treasure that we guard with all our hearts that the only salvation you have is just looking to christ is trusting him is believing that he did it not you not that you did it and he helped because this is the judgment verse 19 that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil 
Everyone who does wicked things hates the light and doesn't come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. See, see, the, the judgment is that salvation has come and people say, no, I don't want it. I'm doing my works over here. I want to keep doing the things that I think are important to get me good standing before God. Or Jesus, I'll accept in some esoteric way that you saved me. But now I want to work on polishing my own life so it shines like the sun. (laughs) The image I like to use is a mirror, right? You're looking at the mirror and you're trying to say, well, I'm fixing myself up here. And you don't realize that the only way to heaven is break the mirror. It shows how ugly you are. And instead, you're looking to the cross. You're looking to where real life is. Forget about you and look to Jesus. You say, no, 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 I pick up the sliver of the mirror and I'm back to saying, well, if I could just get rid of this zit, God would like me more. If I could just do this better, if I could just do... And you're sitting there saying, what are you doing with these broken pieces of mirror? Jesus Christ forgives you and he cleanses you and he gives you a spirit. And he promises he's going to use you by his spirit wherever he wants to blow you. Trust him. And this is the judgment as people won't. And they love the darkness as hoping in your own goodness. And Jesus says, come to the light. Expose your work. You see, every good work you do is threaded through with something not good. I like the pee in the cup of coffee thing. Just one drop of pee in your coffee. I guarantee you won't drink it. All of our good stuff, man, we make the best coffee. We don't realize there's a tiny bit of pee in it all the time. Even when we do it really well. Drop the coffee. Come into the, or come into the light with the coffee. Say, look, Lord, I got pee in my coffee. He says, I got it, kid. I got works for you to do. In God. I prepared them beforehand for you. That's Ephesians 2.10, right? I've got you. They're going to happen. And if you come and realize you're broken and you're not who you should be, and God wants you, he loves you, and that's what we're doing is trusting that he's done it, his cleaning, his indwelling, and, and you don't know that God wants of you and what he's going to use you with a glance over here and a kind word here and the situation you're in over here, and you think it's nothing, but in the Holy Spirit's doing stuff. Okay. That's where far as we're going tonight. today. It's, it's Nick at night. We're not night now. But this idea today, this amazing presentation of Christ to this disciplined, earnest, hardworking religious ruler, who, by the way, even though he's a Pharisee, is coming around, and we're going to see him later in John. But here's what Jesus pushes at him. We need a new life. We don't need improvement of our old life. We need a new one. We don't need sin management or our own righteousness. We need cleansing and the spirit And we don't need our own action. We need the action of God on us. How can these things be? Because that's what it's always been. That's the plan. That God in Christ has come to save. And we who are his, we look to him without hope of our own, without righteousness of our own. And we say, we receive this amazing forgiveness and the Holy Spirit from Jesus. We look to the serpent raised up. Jesus Christ, who bore our sins on the cross. And we live. Receive it, will you? It's an amazing gift. Let's pray.